Welcome to Lit Poetry, the podcast where we go on a journey of discovery, reading, analyzing, and discussing great poetry from around the world. Poetry is worth it because the reading and writing of poetry is a revolutionary act that has the potential to transform both the reader and our world. Welcome to the Lit Poetry Podcast and our exploration of the poem On the Subway by Sharon Olds. In the American poetry scene, Sharon Olds is one of the leading voices in contemporary poetry. Olds is known for writing deeply personal and emotionally fierce poetry, which explicitly explores family life as well as global political themes and issues. Her poetry is also recognised for its straightforward, no-nonsense, free verse style, which in many cases adopts a first-person narrative style, where the poet injects herself directly inside her poems in order to humanise them. Sharon Olds was born in San Francisco in 1942, grew up in Berkeley, California, and attended Stanford University. She went on to gain her PhD at Columbia in 1972. At the age of 37, she published her first book of poems, Satan Says, in 1980. And five decades later, she remains a unique voice in the contemporary poetry scene. On the Subway was first published in The Gold Cell in 1987. The poem itself tackles the issue of white privilege and the systematic racism in the United States. Of course, these themes remain as relevant now as they were when they were being written about four decades ago. This is a great poem to discuss in light of events like the Black Lives Matters movement in more recent times in the USA. So let's take a listen to the poem itself, shall we? May I present On the Subway by Sharon Olds, read to you by the delightful Lucy Freeman. On the Subway by Sharon Olds. The boy and I face each other. His feet are huge, in black sneakers, laced with white, in a complex pattern like a set of intentional scars. We are stuck on opposite sides of the car, a couple of molecules stuck in a rod of light, rapidly moving through darkness. He has the casual, cold look of a mugger, alert under hooded lids. He is wearing red, like the inside of a body exposed. I am wearing dark fur, the whole skin of an animal taken and used. I look at his raw face. He looks at my fur coat. And I don't know if I am in his power. He could take my coat so easily. My briefcase. My life. Or if he is in my power. The way I am living off his life. Eating the steak he does not eat. As if I am taking the food from his mouth. And he is black. And I am white. And without meaning or trying to, I must profit from his darkness. The way he absorbs the murderous beams of the nation's head. As black cotton absorbs the heat of the sun and holds it. There is no way to know how easy this white skin makes my life. This life he could take so easily and break across his knee like a stick. The way his own back is being broken. The rod of his soul that at birth was dark and fluid 
rich as the head of a seedling, ready to thrust up into any available light. So I want to start this podcast by saying a few things about the form and structure of the poem. Written as a poetic monologue, the overall structure of Olds's On the Subway is rather linear, stretching down the page in a free-flowing, almost stream-of-consciousness-like manner. The poem takes the reader on a journey through the narrator's thoughts, fears and revelations as she reflects on her place in the world, relative to a young African-American man sitting opposite her. In many ways, the linear structure and direction of the poem down the page is like a set of train tracks that guide the reader down the page towards a final destination. A final destination that offers a profound insight into the systemic injustice of American society. As a kind of train track, it is interesting to note that as we go on this journey down the poem, that we are privy to the stop-start ponderings of the narrator's mind, moving forward with a question here, while stopping at the occasional realisation there. Through this intimate monologue, we get a real insight into the narrator's jumbled thoughts, which are quite literally stopping all stations along the journey. We're jolted this way and that as her mind click-clacks its way through a series of dark tunnels and thoughts, occasionally stopping at moments where the lights come on. At these moments, it's as if a bright platform light breaks through the windows of the carriage and gives us, the passengers, a moment of profound revelation. The last thing to note about the track-like structure of the poem is that it seems to travel through three distinct stations or states of being. In the first part of the poem, we're privy to the narrator's psychological and emotional state of fear, uncertainty and apprehension. The state of her mind in this section of the track shows her to be stuck within the boundaries of society's conventional thinking in regards to race. Her mind is imprisoned by the cliché stereotypes that she probably has grown up with that place people of different colours into preordained categories. We become aware here how her social programming has predisposed her to label and judge the boy opposite her as a mugger and criminal. In the second section of the poem, however, this emotional and irrational fear eventually gives way to the narrator's capacity to think, probe and analyse the situation in a more honest and self-critical way. This section starts to explore the theme of power in a significant way. It could be safely labelled as the philosophical section of the poem, where the work of critical thinking slowly begins to stamp out the emotional prejudices the narrator holds, prejudices that have so insidiously colonised her perceptions about others. And finally, the last section of the poem is one that's focused on revelation. This final section returns the narrator back to an emotional state, but this time it's an emotional state laced with hope rather than fear. The narrator's last stop on her train journey in this way, it is a deeply internal one where she experiences a profound epiphany about how society works. Moreover, she arrives at this new internal destination with a more fully integrated sense of herself and her place in the world. Within this new understanding about the world, she starts to see how the polarised categories that divide people into light and dark, 
good and bad opposites are false fabrications that need to be challenged. So I want to continue the analysis of On the Subway by deep diving into the three distinct sections I outlined earlier in the podcast. In the first third of the poem, Olds asks her readers to enter into the state of a white woman who observes a young black man as they travel together, neither knowing the other. The word boy is noteworthy here as the word itself has a long and negatively connotated history in the USA often being used in a condescending way for a white person to address a fully developed black African-American man. It is a very demeaning label. Of course, in the detailed description of the male's physical strength, it can be safely assumed that he is in fact not a boy, but rather he is probably a teenager or youth. Therefore, while the narrator does not necessarily use the term boy here in a consciously racist way, Its inclusion illustrates how the narrator's mind has already been partly colonised by the culture she is a part of. As such, she has absorbed many attitudes of the past without realising it, even though she might rightfully be a fairly moral person in herself. This first section of the poem is deeply psychological and reveals the narrator's secret fears, going on to shine a light on the systematic racism that lies secreted at the heart of American society and continues to divide its people. The opening lines begin by highlighting this divide in society by drawing attention to opposites. And of course, these opposites continue throughout the poem. In this section, we have the boy and I, who are on opposite sides of the car, which reminds us of the old saying, opposite sides of the tracks. We also have the introduction in this section of opposites in the form of light and dark imagery, in rod of light and moving through darkness, as well as in the references to black sneakers with white laces. Here the poet is highlighting the arbitrary divisions in society that associate blackness with negatives like fear, evil, danger and criminality, and light with ideas like progress, wealth and goodness. Indeed, the poem starts to explore the problems with this simplistic and polarised way of understanding our world, And this will become more apparent later in the poem. Another point to note in this opening section are the negative connotations in the words huge and the word sneakers. The word huge instantly implies the youth as being possibly dangerous, and the word sneakers hints at secrecy and underhandedness. Of course, this gives us, the reader, an unfiltered glimpse into the narrator's worldview. And we can tell that she is subconsciously influenced by racial stereotypes. If we then apply a critical theory lens to our reading and view the unfolding events through, say, a Marxist interpretive framework, other avenues of analysis become open to us. In Marxist theory, the ruling or privileged classes use a framework of ideologies to support the status quo and justify and keep their power. In this case, the ideology of black being associated with evil and white with goodness helps to prop up systematic injustice 
and will continue to do so until those false ideologies are challenged. This is partly what the poem aims to do, but in this section we get to witness just how subtly embedded into everyday life these ideologies actually are, and just how difficult it is to undertake the reflective work required to dismantle them. In this first section, notice too the clever use of the simile comparing the sneaker's white laces to a set of intentional scars. The scars instantly allude historically to the ridges of white scarring left after a black slave is punished and whipped. The laces also point to just how entangled the lives of black people and white people are, but that it is ultimately white people pulling the strings or tightening the nooses. The whites are generally in control in American society, while African Americans and other people of colour remain partially in bondage within an economic system that sells them the illusion of the American dream. It is a very clever simile, and when I personally picture these sneakers, I can't help but think of a pair of Nikes, a brand that has so captivated the hopes and dreams of African Americans while ironically being run by an unscrupulous company that has dabbled in child labour and economic slavery throughout the developing parts of the world. The middle section of On the Subway starts to move the poem in a new direction. One of the subtle changes is that the middle section contains more enjammed lines. Enjambment is where the poet prevents the poem from pausing at the end of the lines and instead allows those lines to naturally flow on into the next line without stopping. This constant, irregular continuation across lines of poetry creates a cascading effect that helps to mimic the patterns of digressions that the narrator's stream of consciousness is taking. The irregular pauses that do exist, however, generally happen within the lines of poetry and represent another very important poetic technique at play throughout the poem, sejura. The sejura include all the full stops, commas and dashes that are used before the end of each line. Combined, the enjambment and sejura perfectly create a sense of turbulent thoughts spiralling through the narrator's mind in this middle section of the poem. Indeed, her thoughts intensify. In this second section of the poem, the narrator's fears become palpable as well, as she describes the young man as having the casual cold look of a mugger, a stereotypical association often placed unfairly on young black African men. She immediately considers herself vulnerable and in danger, but this is also where the poem gets very interesting and we start to see a shift. This shift happens as the narrator slowly starts to look beyond her fears. The mugger's hoodie is described as being red, like the inside of a body exposed, while the observer is wearing dark fur, the whole skin of an animal taken and used. By creating a kind of hunting analogy, this ambivalent description starts to put questions in the reader's mind as to which one, the writer or young man, is in fact the hunter and predator, and which one is the quarry or prey. While the youth initially appears dangerous, it is almost as if the observer has stolen the black man's skin and used it for her own protection. In other words, she appears in control. 
She is the hunter, and she is doubly protected against America's racist heart, while the black man has no protection and is exposed. She has literally stolen his skin and is wearing it, having skinned him alive. The theme of theft seems ironic considering that the black man is first described as a mugger. Indeed, the description of the youth's face really starts to change the reader's perception as we start to see him as the prey in this scene and as a victim of systemic injustice. His being alert now seems more a description of his own insecurity than a description of his potential malice. As the narrator sheds her fears in this middle section, she moves into a more philosophical place full of probing, self-reflection and social analysis, particularly around the notion of power. Here she asks whether she is in the black man's power or whether it's the other way around. We begin to see a difference between the choices of the individual and society here in this questioning. Her fear of the black man is a personal description. She is afraid the black man might mug her. However, her sense of power over the black man describes not the individual difference between them, but how they are placed in society. The group in society that the woman belongs to is feeding off the group that the black man belongs to, eating the steak he does not eat. Steak, of course, being a symbol of wealth, but also connecting back to the earlier hunting analogy. Since her actual power is derived from her social position rather than her individual physical strength, there is nothing she can do to change this imbalance, especially if she remains within the bounds of society as it currently exists. It is interesting to note that the theme of theft now ties in with the theme of society. As an individual, the black man is the one who people might wrongly think is likely to steal from the white woman. However, as a society, white people are stealing from black people constantly stealing their hopes for the future, for example. In this section, therefore, Olds manages to flip our understanding of what criminality actually looks like. In the final section of the poem, new questions emerge for the poem's narrator. She starts to realise that change is difficult because injustice underpins the systems of this world. And this third section highlights this. Even with good intentions and a truthful realisation as her guide, the narrator sees how her ability to change the reality she sees around her is actually limited. She must profit, the poem says, from the situation as it stands. There is no easy, cliché solution to the problem, even though her epiphany about the world around her is a healthy first step. Note here in this section how the poet continues to reverse notions of light and dark, moving them beyond their normal stereotypical tropes. The beams of light that should be coming from those in power in the nation's head, for instance, and give guidance and clarity, are actually described as murderous. And here we also have the beautiful but disturbing simile of how the youth is absorbing society's hatred as black cotton and holding it. Clearly the reference to cotton here has a strong association to the history of black slavery in American history and implies that the history of this slavery is still playing out today. 
This final section brings the poem full circle to the point of revelation and hope. The rod of light, described earlier in the poem, returns now to be found as a description of the youth's soul. His inherent black beauty are displayed in his potential to thrust up towards any light. This final section is arresting in its vivid imagery and its ability to describe darkness now in a positive light as being both fluid and rich. It is interesting to remember that historically, throughout the height of slavery in the USA in the early to mid-19th century, there existed an underground railway of secret routes and safe houses used by enslaved African Americans to escape into the free northern states and Canada. The scheme was assisted by abolitionists and others sympathetic to the cause of the escapees. On the subway makes a connection back to these events, but in many ways reverses the roles of the slaves within this more contemporary context. It is the white privileged woman who is the slave in this new context, as she is a prisoner in her own mind, trapped in a world of ideologies, prejudices, stereotypes and influences that insulate her from the injustices of a system from which she must profit. In our reading of this poem, the narrator could be interpreted once again travelling along the underground railway of liberation more than a century later, but this time to emancipate herself from different kinds of shackles that constrain her. In her journey on this contemporary underground railway or subway, she comes to realise that it is not enough to think that it is just up to black African Americans to empower and liberate themselves, because the reality is that the system itself is inherently too unjust and broken to be conquered by their efforts alone. The idea of the American dream is exposed for the unfair myth it is, and therefore black empowerment is only part of the solution an important part, but still only part. In addition, the narrator sees that the answer to black African-American liberation also involves those in possession of power and privilege in society, like herself, being willing to surrender some of their great wealth in order that others may grow and flourish. So it's time to finish this week's podcast and say goodbye. I truly hope you enjoyed this week's poem featured at Lit Poetry. We'll finish by listening one last time to the poem. I'll see you next time. On the Subway by Sharon Olds The boy and I face each other. His feet are huge, in black sneakers, laced with white in a complex pattern like a set of intentional scars. We are stuck on opposite sides of the car, a couple of molecules stuck in a rod of light, rapidly moving through darkness. He has the casual cold look of a mugger, alert under hooded lids. He is wearing red, like the inside of a body exposed. I am wearing dark fur, the whole skin of an animal taken and used. I look at his raw face. He looks at my fur coat, and I don't know if I am in his power. 
He could take my coat so easily, my briefcase, my life. Or if he is in my power, the way I am living off his life, eating the steak he does not eat, as if I am taking the food from his mouth. And he is black, and I am white. And without meaning or trying to, I must profit from his darkness, the way he absorbs the murderous beams of the nation's head, as black cotton absorbs the heat of the sun and holds it. There is no way to know how easy this white skin makes my life. This life he could take so easily and break across his knee like a stick, the way his own back is being broken. The rod of his soul that at birth was dark and fluid, rich as the head of a seedling, ready to thrust up into any available light. You've been listening to the Lit Poetry Podcast, presented by James Laidler. For more podcasts, poetry videos, and other useful resources, visit our website at www.litpoetry.com. Thanks for listening.